I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we have Brian Nowak, who is the author of horror novels, many horror novels, and the host of the podcast All Things Writing. So first of all, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. My first question is whenever I meet another podcaster who talks about writing and books and things, I'm always like, ooh! So tell us really quickly... (laughs) What is your podcast? What do you do? Who do you talk to? Give us like the 30 second intro. So the podcast, All Things Writing, is a show dedicated to chronicling my writing adventures and sharing what I have learned while writing and some of the tips and tricks. I also interview other writers as well. And uh, really, it's just to let other writers know that you're not alone and there's a journey to process, a journey to follow. Very true. Yeah, this is not a quick and easy thing. So my actual first question was, so I know you mentioned you write horror, but you also yes. write mystery and science fiction. Yes. Do you find that you have any branding issues with yourself writing three different things? Or do you find yourself going to the same audience for those things? Not, you know, uh, I, I guess the best way to answer that question is that uh, the reality is, is that I am going to write the books that I want to read. You know, it's the if we try and chase branding down, I am, you know, if you're going to like nail me to a tree, I would say I am definitely a horror writer. Uh, but I like the idea of being able to write dark mysteries and uh, a little bit of science fiction to, to you know, dabble into my own interest in science fiction. It's not really so much an issue of uh, branding as it is being true to the stories that are in myself. Now, yes, I think to a certain extent, you uh, if you build yourself as a horror writer, you really do have to uh, blow that trumpet pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And I do predominantly say I am a horror writer, but it's amazing how well my, uh, my mystery books do overall. And as a matter of fact, right now, my, uh, my very first novel, The Dramatic Dead, or my very second novel, The Dramatic Dead, <laughs> it is tra- you, you lose track after a while, to be honest. I wish. <laughs> it is trading first place spots with uh, my one of my more recent novels, Reapoke. So and that's a horror novel. So you know, it depends on what you want to do. What is in your heart? What do you want to write? is really, truly the question I think a lot of authors need to wrestle with. So you're still writing predominantly like dark, so it's a dark mystery or horror. You're not going to suddenly write a bodice-ripping romance and throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might. No. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the funny part is that I always tell people that horror is a very interesting umbrella. Uh, horror can be, it can be happy, it can be sad, it can be funny, it can be romantic, it can be comedic, it can be anything you really want it to be um, because it has that flexibility. It's it's this really wide umbrella. So I think to a certain extent, my mystery novels to a certain audience are going to be horror novels too. They're going to fill both those descriptions because people read what's in there and it fills them full of dread. Well, that's the objective of a horror novel, isn't it? So I I really, 
I really think we always have to be very careful with this genre mindset. Uh, we don't want to don't don't not pick up a book that interests you because it's not in your genre. Pick it up and read it anyway, uh, because you may find something you like. I mean, people are shocked to find out that I have a guilty pleasure, and that is uh, cozy mysteries. That's because cozy mysteries are awesome. They're fun. <laughs> they are great fun. And, you know, it, not everything needs to be dark. You cannot have just dark. You have to have some light, too. So talking about genre, I am totally on board with mixing genres. I'm totally on board with, you know, there's a lot of overlap in many cases between horror and mystery and sci-fi, depending on what story you're picking up. But in terms of actually selling those books, putting them on a marketplace, how do you decide then this one is mystery, this one is horror? How, you know, how do you make that determination so that your audience knows what they're looking for? So, you know, you have to, at the end of the day, truly, I mean, you're, you're 100% right. You have to make a decision on what you are going to call a certain thing. You, where are you going to bend it? Because society wants us to bend these things so they're easier to find. Mm -hmm. And I think it's truly important that we, you know, and I hate to, I hate to say this, but the traditional descriptions of a mystery novel is that there is a crime to be solved or, or something that you have to solve. And you have a dogged protagonist who's going after the solution to that puzzle. You, you can have that be dark and still have it be mystery. I think a lot of it is dependent on uh, where you want to take that book. So the Dramatic Dead, for example, is very much a... The Dramatic Dead and the Reverend Dead are both very much mysteries in the true sense of the word. There is a... Uh, there's a private investigator. There's his friend or his uh, girlfriend who's a police sergeant. There's his best friend who helps him solve crimes. And, and I hate to go back to the old murder-she-wrote kind of uh, methodology for determining what's a mystery, but really, if you look at a mystery and you have that question to solve, uh, it kind of fits in that bin. Does it not fit in other bins? That's a really intriguing question. Um, and it's, it's a hard one to answer. I think that's a problem along a lot of things. Like, I love urban fantasy. Okay. And occasionally, they have, you know, romance interests in them. Sure. And I'm constantly finding things that might have, like, a hug or a kiss in them being shelved under paranormal romance. <laughs> for reasons unknown to anyone and i'm like there's no romance in here she's killing people throughout the entire book but okay so i've now learned to look in there even though i know that's not what the book is about so i i find it interesting that you know trying to get it binned in the right place is really hard especially in bookstores yeah you're 100 percent right uh how, how do you actually find what you're seeking uh I, I'm constantly reminded that when you go into Amazon and you look at the books that you bought and uh, it recommends other books to you, half the time I have no idea where those book recommendations are coming from. Yeah. It just happens to be the category that the, the person, the author or publisher picked when they, they loaded it in there. Well, and it's important to note, I think, for new authors out there who aren't used to the Amazon platform that Amazon will also sort of auto assign your book to things sometimes. So you may see your book popping up under a category where you're like, whoa, that's not right at all. 
And it's something to be aware of because it can mislead readers. So you're getting people, you know, clicking on your book and it turns out it's not what they're expecting. And then, you know, if you're advertising, you're losing that revenue. It's a whole thing. So to be aware that you don't, you do have some control in how you put the cover on it and how you write the descriptions and all those things, but you don't necessarily have full control at every step. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point. When you get the books pushed out there into the world, uh, there is a certain amount of control you do have by the search uh, or or the, the tagging criteria that you use with your book. But realistically, uh, there's an algorithm that goes on behind the scenes that I don't think any of us really sees or necessarily completely understands because I, I honestly, and this is a full confession. Uh, I don't have time to write books, do a podcast and figure out Amazon's algorithms because I would lose my mind. Right. That's the whole part of the writing process. They don't tell you when you start putting fingers to keyboard. And that's the part I read about a lot on uh, like Facebook groups. They're always trying to figure out how these algorithms work or how these percentages work. And they're, it's, everyone's baffled. They're like, I don't know. It's Tuesday. So they added something to it. I don't know. <laughs> You're 1,000% correct, Shelley. 1,000% correct, yeah. I think the big thing when you think about the algorithms, because we've, we've come across the concept of the algorithm when we talk to people about social media, when we talk to people about where their book is selling, all kinds of places. And if you spend all of your energy trying to understand the algorithm, you will burn yourself out because it's impossible because you are not a computer. But if you spend your energy writing the best book you know how to write and recognizing what the tropes are, what the genre markers are, and making those obvious, then you're going to go a lot farther than trying to game the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Because if you look at the algorithms, like, uh, let's say, th- th- and this is another reason why I'm not, I'm always telling people, you know, it's it's nice to look at the trends, it's nice to look to see what's selling. But at the end of the day, um all that's being written in the magazines is what's selling today. And if you figure it takes a year for you to write a book, you're never going to get in front of that wave that way. So what you have to do is write the best book you can, do the best editing you possibly can, get it to the best editor you can conceivably find, and then find one of the best graphic artists you can to, to do the artwork. Because otherwise, all you're doing is spinning yourself in circles and getting dizzy. Right. It takes a team. Takes a team. No one person can do every aspect of creating and marketing a book. It's it's too much. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are people that try, but I, I, <laughs> I can't think of many people that could excel in every aspect of that and still have time to sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. And, you know, I'm actually going through my third round of edits with uh, my editor right now on my next horror novel, The App. It's called, that's just the working title is The App. And um, I was thinking to myself the other day how honored I am to have her working with me as part of the team because she's so phenomenal. She's making me a better writer. That's nice. That's what a good editor should do. Absolutely. How did you find her? (laughs) So, okay. Uh, A few years ago, I was involved in a book convention in Maryland. And I happened to, somebody was telling me one day, okay, well, you're going to be sitting next to this, this lady. She does steampunk and, and I think you'll get along with her. And uh, they sat me next to uh, Catherine McIntyre, who is a, she wrote the Airship Also Rises series. 
phenomenal steampunk. She does a little bit of gay romance kind of stuff too. Uh, but it, the series itself, it has a little bit of everything for everyone. It has romance. It has sword fights. It has explosions. It has airships. I mean, I don't care what kind of reader you are. You're going to find something you're going to like. Well, years later, she said uh, she was getting into editing, and I love her style. So that's really what it came down to. Ah, that's smart. Look for somebody whose style you already like so that they can, you can learn to be a little bit more like them. That I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's a good strategy. Well, and, and, you know, the thing is, is I am really, really good at torturing people. Uh, my I wouldn't ability... put that on a resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, like like uh, one of these days the FBI is going to show up and say we've been looking at your Google searches. <laughs> um, but I I am very very good at torturing people, killing people, maiming people. But what I'm not really good at, and I'll be the first to admit it, is there are some touchy feely elements that I don't necessarily always get right. So it's nice to have her in my corner saying. When you wrote this passage, you kind of just phoned it in. You need to make this, give this some more depth, give it some more dimensionality. And uh, that's critical. A a good editor and a good writer relationship is like a good marriage. And you have to have that give and take. Um, It's important. It's critical. And communication. No, it is good. It's definitely important to find a good editor. Because, again, on other posts that I'm reading, People are finding a lot of these quote-unquote editors and all they're doing is taking their money and then running them through these software programs. Oh, my gosh. Like, like yeah. the Grammarly's and all that kind of thing that you can do on your own. And then they're giving it yeah. back going, here, I've edited it for you. And I'm like, no, you didn't edit it. You ran it through a program. I yeah. want a human to read through this and tell me if tone and balance and all that stuff are in there. Exactly. Um, you have to have and, – and that's where that whole give-and-take discussion point uh, – discussion takes place because – as a writer, you have to be willing to say, okay, editor, I know you've made this suggestion. I don't particularly agree with that uh, suggestion, but before I tell you I'm not going to take it, let me understand why you made it in the first place, because they may have a very good reason you never thought of. So it's that communication that's important. I thought of a cross-genre book that's like the perfect example of horror and mystery all at once. The Hound of the Baskervilles. Oh, absolutely. I think most people are like, oh, that's mystery because it's Sherlock Holmes. But I've seen it in horror anthologies. And it's Mm -hmm. definitely scary until you figure out what's happening. Yes. And so, like, you could could build that either way. But ultimately, it comes down to, is it a good story? Yes. Absolutely. You have to... And it goes back to my... What's always going to be my central premise... If I could have a mountain that I could have a giant megaphone so the entire world will hear me, I will just scream out loud as loud as I can, write the story that you want to read. Because I can guarantee you, readers out or writers, budding writers out there listening to this, I can guarantee if you want to read the story, there are going to be other people out there that want to read the story too. Absolutely. Yes. As long as it's well written, someone's going to want to read it. Exactly. Sometimes even if it's not well written. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be really honest here, folks. I, I have, uh, I, I will admit, I have read Fifty Shades of Grey. Haven't gone well, down that path yet. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to save you a lot of time. And I know what happens. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's just not that. I mean, and I, the reason I read it is, I mean, this is all research because, you know, why was it selling? That's what I wanted to know. That is the question I needed to ask. 
or answer myself because, you know, I, I knew lots of people in my life who said, oh, they read it. Okay, well, why? It, it The book itself does have some major issues. Like, for example, my biggest belief is that if I'm reading a book and something happens to a character in the book and I don't care that that thing happened to that character, then then that that book to me is sort of a failure. Right. I have to have investment in those characters. Uh, the Maze Runner is another one that um, there's a few characters in the Maze Runner that honestly, so I, I read that. I, I read literally everything. Um, Same. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just one of those things where I, you know, something happened to the characters and I'm like, so what you've lost me then. Yeah. So one, one thing we ask um, most people in interviews, what do you do as far as social media? I'm always interested to hear what, you know, what social media you use, how do you use it? What do you do? So this is a funny story because I, I, I've really, I've really given this some thought lately. Um, I try to develop my Facebook, uh, Facebook following as much as possible. I also do Twitter. I also do Instagram. My Twitter following has been uh, slowly but surely ratcheting up. I don't pour tons and tons of time into um, into really aggressive programs, only because I'm really more interested in the long game here. Uh, you know, I, I am very fortunate. Uh, I am a, you know, I have a full-time job. Uh, I, I don't need to rely on the income of my writing, which affords me the ability to sit back and look at this from the long-term perspective. Uh, so I do, I, I do put posts on Facebook. I do put posts on Twitter, but I don't really, uh, I, I would say I don't really go out of my way to try and build huge audiences. I try to build the right audience. Uh, when you are doing things like advertising, trying to get people to come to your Facebook page, really concentrate on who you're looking for. Because what you really don't want is you really don't want a ton of extra people jumping onto your site and then dropping you. That doesn't serve you well. Mm. Um, make sure you are... You know, and I, I've unfortunately met more than a few authors out there who every single post is by my book. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'd be lost so fast. You got to give me something interesting. Right. And 80% of all your posts should have nothing to do with selling at all. Um, some people will say 90%. And um, I, I don't necessarily, um, I don't know what the right mix is to be, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure there's, again, I'm sure there's an algorithm out there that will tell us if we wait long enough or a company willing to sell us their services. Um, <laughs> Someone has a formula. <laughs> yeah. Like I always get emails um, so offering me services for different things. But the really funny part is that uh, all things writing um, has been on this interesting upward glide slope. And I consider that definitely part of my social media platform because there's so many people that are sitting in their cars and listening to these podcasts as they're going to and from work. Uh, it's a really good element of my overall program, I think. Excellent. So if someone wants to follow you on the social medias, uh, where can they find you? Well, if they go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you can actually just find me under Brian the Writer. 
that's easy enough. So go yeah. look for Brian the writer. <laughs> and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, click over to All Things Writing and listen to Brian's podcast. And you can just keep doing that forever. Just go back and forth and back and forth <laughs> and back and forth. Uh, it'll be fine. M- maybe write somewhere in there. <laughs> we will always make more content for you, no problem. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show, Brian. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great. 